What's up, everybody? This is Alec Coughlin, host of the Growth Mindset, powered by Ludlow. This podcast is focused on the people that are inspiring us all to get better every day. These are the folks with the growth mindset. Understand how they live, how they think, how they operate. Ball players, entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, entrepreneurs, all those super interesting people that inspire us all. So keep in mind, every day you got two choices. You can either get worse or get better. This podcast is 110% dedicated to helping us all get better every day. So here we go. So we're back, episode number three, and I didn't tell Sloan this before we started this uh, this this you know conversation, but when I thought about launching this podcast, and thanks to my wife for really helping me figure it out, Sloan was one of the first people in my network of a you know humbly speaking gazillion people that I was like I cannot wait to uh, fingers crossed that Sloan will agree to jump on this with me because. I think about so many of our conversations over the years, and and I just think there's so much that my network is going to gain um, by being fortunate enough to get to know Sloan. So here we go. So I'm going to rip through your little intro myself, just because I told you before, I just I love it, and please just add to it. But this is exactly why. So who's Sloan, Sloan Scott? OG entrepreneur since the age of 13, college dropout, learn by doing, no such thing as a ceiling, which I love, three-time cancer survivor, hard work, faith, and family. It's the flow mantra. It's tattooed on her ankle, and she just loves to work with hardworking, smart, ambitious people, and your track record speaks for itself. I'm not going to go into to, you know all the numbers. We're going to talk about it. You're going to talk about it, but we got to know each other years ago, Blue Chair Bay Rum. Um, and I felt like I met, you know, a sister that I, that I, I mean, I have a sister. I love my sister, but this is a whole different type of sister. So here we go. Sloan Scott, take it away. All Intros. Right, good morning. <laughs> that was, a, it's a hard, that's a hard intro to follow. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when, you know, kind of going back when you and I met on Blue Chair, you know, we had started Flow and Flow was, you know, as I often described it to you guys, it was a Seinfeld episode. It was a company about nothing and a company about everything. We just didn't know. I mean, you know, it was me and four dudes making it up as we went along. And, you know, and the four dudes were, as you all know, from working with all of them, are, were, were and are ballers in their own right. I mean, I was just lucky to be along for the ride, right? Not um, true. A lot worked- of horsepower. Not true. A lot of horsepower all around. Yeah. <laughs> Well, having worked with Mark Montgomery for yeah. as long as I had and still yeah. do, right, um, you know, learned a lot. So we worked, we got to work on Blue Chair Bay rum, which lots of great stories around that one. But, you know, the, the coolest thing for me there was really getting to, to see behind the scenes as an entrepreneur, what it's like to, again, build something from scratch, but build a booze brand in nine months. I mean, you know, nobody told us we couldn't. So we just did. And, you know, kind of the rest is history. I mean, the beauty of that is it's still the single fastest independent spirits launch in the history of the booze business. Of course it is. So, Love you know, it. we almost deep sixed from the work, but, <laughs> but the brand you know, the brand lives on and it's doing really well. And there's some great stories and some, some big failures in the middle of all of it. But, you know, I mean, what, what startup doesn't have that? <laughs> no doubt. No, I, I love it. So there's so many directions to go and I'm going to try to keep it focused because my God, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and I know my audience same. would absolutely <laughs> love it. Right. Um, but one of the things that we've talked about on so many different levels and, and, kind of tangents, if you will, is the idea of like the reality of being an entrepreneur, right? Some people joke about, you know, entrepreneurs are crazy. They'll work 80 hours to avoid working 40 hours for, you know, a, a traditional company. And so I'd love to hear you just talk, you know, about that aspect of your understanding of like, what is it to be an entrepreneur? What what makes them tick? And, you know, the, the, the glamorous stuff, but also the grind and the struggle and the process and just any thoughts on just the reality of being an entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's a great topic. And when you think about, you know, kind of what we've all lived through in the last eight months, right? Hard to believe we're saying it's been that long, but it has. Eight months. And, 
Yeah, right. And so, you know, I mean, I think there's two kinds of people in the world. You've heard me say this before. There's entrepreneurs and people that want to be them, right? Yeah. I mean, there is. And the, the, plain and simple, right? And so when you're an entrepreneur, at least, and I can only speak from my lens, right? And, yeah. and you and I have had lots of conversations about what this looks like. And, and I'll talk about it from the female entrepreneur perspective too, because I think that's important because I am one. So, yes. you know, I mean, I think entrepreneurs are just wired a different way. We just, it's just the way we're wired. And I loved this statement around, you know, that work 80 hours to avoid working 40. Well, yeah, but the result is different, right? When you're the captain of your own ship, <laughs> right? You're the one who's responsible for whether it stays on course or whether it sinks, right? And so it's, there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes with that. Um, and I think, a huge amount of introspection, right? So I made a career personally of being a wingman and I've been a co-founder. You know, I, yes, I started my own first company at 13, but that was really out of the fact that I was bored with what was traditionally out there and I had a goal in mind, right? Which is no different than any entrepreneur, right? I mean, I wanted to go to Europe for the summer of my 16th birthday. Obviously, are like, well, okay, cool, but you're gonna have to figure out how to pay for it. And at 13, you're too young to get a real job, right? I didn't want to babysit because I was like, that's scratch, I'm not gonna make enough money doing that, right? My dad had taught me at the age of 10 how to start trading in the stock market because I wanted to learn from my dad what was the real value of money. So, my dad, instead of giving me allowance, would give me would taught me how to trade stocks. So we'd look at the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal and he would walk me through like, this is how you do it. And so I had sort of learned at a pretty young age what the value of money was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I, when I started that catering company, that's really what it was, is I catered dinners on Fridays and Saturday nights for my mom's society friends. Like she's a member of the junior league and she did the American cancer side and all that stuff. And it was cash. So I named the company, my dad helped me open a bank account and that's what I did. So instead of hanging out at the mall, which is what all my friends did, I was working and I was stashing away money and was able to go away to college, you know, it was a way to go to go to Europe. But then I also was able to kind of pay for my own college tuition, which ended up as you said, I dropped out because I figured it was waste. But, you know, for yeah. me, yeah. that's kind yeah. of where I went. So I learned a lot of lessons early on that I then brought forward, right? And so great example, you know, I thought college, when when you grow up on the North Shore in Chicago, which is where I grew up, that's kind of the, the rule, right? So you graduate from high school and you go to college. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. There's like a rule, right? Yeah. And so... I did the standard, applied all the colleges. My dad was an Ivy Leaguer, went to Brown. So we had to go through that whole song and dance, you know, apply at all the Ivy League schools and blah, blah, blah. And then because I went to private Catholic high school back then, and I'm totally aging myself, but back then they took quotas, right? So if there was another kid at the school you wanted to go to that actually went to your school or had a family member that went to your school, even if you had the grades to get in, you didn't get in because there was a whole pecking order to this, which whatever. So I got in, decided I wanted to go to, to Wittenberg, went to Wittenberg, did the classic freshman thing, deep sixed my grades, went off the rails, you know. That whole had, thing. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like with the dean you, you, you over indexed on the other side of the educational totally experience. On the other side. Yeah, you didn't do the classroom. Right? Right. When the Dean of Students calls your dad and says, you might want to come get her. <laughs> yeah, it's right? like, I'm there. Right. And so yeah. I did. And my dad looked at me and said, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, well, I'll figure it out. You know, I moved out. And that was kind of really when my entrepreneurial career started. Yeah. And it was really a bunch of side hustles put together. So when you talk about what that entrepreneur entrepreneurial mindset is, for me, it was survival at the yes. beginning because I had to do a bunch of side hustles to figure out what was the thing I wanted to do. Um, and once I kind of got that 
directionally correct and almost right, then I just use that really as the way to, to catapult. But it's more than 80 hours. I don't know the last time it worked. Right. Yeah, that's, like that's a vacation. It's, it's And what's that? I mean, yeah. as an entrepreneur, for me, it was ingrained. It's ingrained into me. It's part of who I am. Yeah. And so that work ethic came, you know, both from my parents and my family background, but also really from survival, mm. honestly, and just learning that I was never going to fit into that traditional nine to five office mindset. And, and even when I made moves along the way, um, you know, which is where we sort of met when I was working at, you know, we met when I was at flow, but you knew my history from working at George P. Johnson and G7. I mean, all of those moves really came out of the move into the music business with Mark in the first venture in echo music. And that was a full-time gig. The music business is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And it is not, and the tech business isn't either. And we combined the two. But you figured you just you'll just do, you know, just bring them together. Let's make it really hard. Let's make it the, yeah. let's make it a right big, up, big, right? huge mountain, Mount Everest. I don't want to climb a hill. I want to climb Mount Everest. Right. And I also think it's finding other people that are like that. And there are lots of us. And I was just honestly lucky that I found somebody like Mark who had built a company of people like that, right? It just, it was about the grind and it was about producing great results no matter what we were doing. So I would say for, for me, that mindset has really helped me through all of this. I mean, you know, now I'm in healthcare as we talked about and, and I have a completely female owned, female run company. Oh, yeah. um, that's not by accident, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, through all of this, Thank God I already knew what the commitment was going to be, because I think that really helped us through this last eight months. And then as a female entrepreneur, kind of piggybacking on that, the other thing that I'll say is you have to work harder. You just do. I didn't make those rules. Yeah. I didn't. And I, I would say I don't necessarily always like those rules, but they are what they are. And so when you can create kind of your own path as a female entrepreneur do it under your terms don't do it under anybody else's yeah and luckily enough sorry about the dog but love the dog no that's always yeah. that's the second two out of three episodes we have a dog because everybody knows the dogs can they smell me they know i love dogs so bring it yeah <laughs> that's the border collie right it's Aww. amazon somebody's delivering something but you know, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is you get to define your own terms and, and being a female entrepreneur, I mean, I live in Nashville. So there's, there's, thank goodness, there's a lot more of us now, but back when I was in it at the beginning in the early nineties, there were maybe like three. Yeah. And yeah. now thank goodness, there's a lot more, but the grind is different. So I love that you brought that up Sloan, because I was hoping we would get to that. Cause I think that's really important. So it, it's, I have a very awesome, as I mentioned, strong sister, and I've got lots of lady bosses in my life, including, you know, Julia LaRoche, Sally Pancakes, my amazing wife, Julia yep. Coughlin. Um, she's got 18 names because she's that, you know, much of a, of a beast. But um, look, I like what you just said about dealing with the reality of being a female entrepreneur, female executive, what have you. I think it's really interesting. I think it'd be really helpful for those listening, especially that don't necessarily, all due respect to you, all that are listening that don't either believe that or don't understand that or haven't taken the time to understand it. Like I've gone through some unconscious bias workshops that have opened my eyes. Like I, I think sure. I'm pretty enlightened, but holy shit, is it bad? Um, yeah. And way worse than anything you could possibly imagine is like a white dude, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's so right. brutal. So let's right. talk about that in real terms, right? So sure. give us a couple of examples of the type of stuff that a female entrepreneur has to deal with and, and how you've maybe overcome and, and dealt with it and, and just give the audience like a tangible, oh, like it's like that, you know? Sure. So <laughs> you and I have talked about this, but I've worked in probably three of the most male dominated industries in the world, right? The music and tech business, the booze business and healthcare. Yeah. The entire industry is run by a bunch of middle-aged white dudes. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, right? Thank goodness there's a lot more female CEOs making their way up the ranks, which is awesome and Progress. good for everybody. Yeah. But some great examples. I mean, first of all, the music business is classic and very similar to the tech business. They share a lot of the same biases mm-hmm. and it's hard. And what you have to do, and, and I always try to look at it through the lens of if I were a young female coming up through the ranks, what advice would I want to get from someone who's who's been there and done that? And what I always try to say when somebody asks me that question is, again, I can only look at it through my lens, but what I always say is never compromise your standards because the minute you do, you never get it back. Yep. And it's, you know, I would like to think that sometimes the inappropriateness is not intentional, but the fact is a lot of times it is. Mm. And it's, it's really easy for someone to say, I'll give you a great example. And this is one that um, also has some healthcare bias wrapped up in it. Right. Mm. So, uh, and if this is a Mark Montgomery story, so, and he knows it, we've talked about it. So if it comes out and he, and you should interview him too, by the way, uh, definitely. If, if, if it comes out, you, he, he's fine with it. So yeah. When I was in my, gosh, second year at Echo Music. So Echo was the first, one of the first companies in the music business to sell music direct to fan before iTunes. So it was kind of that whole permission marketing, the whole Seth Godin, Purple Cow permission marketing into tech. So Mark was the founder, was one of the five companies in the country that did it, right? So second year, we're in this little house in Music Row, He's going through a hellacious divorce, is all over the place. The company is doing really well, but we're, you know, I mean, we're in a little house with pinball machines in the basement and coders and, you know, it's, it's kind of a nutty music tech startup. I got sick. I got, my cancer came back. So, um, and I was so scared to tell anyone, um, that I just plowed through it and didn't tell anybody I was sick. And so, you know, if I was worried that I was gonna throw up from chemo and miss a meeting, I would just tell Mark, like, I would not eat, basically I wouldn't eat that day. So Mm. I wouldn't get sick. I mean, I did all kinds of things to compromise myself because I was so afraid that I would be judged by the men who ran that company Mm. Um, and that they would look at me as less of a person. And the fact was they did, because once it, there's only so much you can hide when your hair starts falling out. People are like, <laughs> was it a choice? What's yeah. Going on, right. You know, it's like, what's going on? So I started like rocking the do rag and the whole bit, but yeah. they did the way they treated me changed. And mm. we call that in the cancer circles, we call that cancer face. Like, what's mm. the okay. Um, cancer face okay you know what screw you buddy like my work ethic didn't change yeah i'm the same person i'm fighting through it whatever you know you just chose to treat me differently and because i'm a woman it it got compounded Mm. right so he and i finally had to have a sit down and i had to say listen has my work suffered have the results suffered no then really shut the f up yeah so we're all good we good here yeah right yeah so i mean that's a great first example. You know, a second one would be, you know, when I, um, and there's some good watershed moments mixed in this, right? Like you learn as, as a woman, especially in the music business, like mistakes happen, right? It happens yeah. to everybody. But for whatever reason, when you make it in a big, massive, you know, record producer comes after you, you've got it, you've got to kind of stand your ground. So it happened a couple of times. Um, and the good news for me, I was just able to say, I was able to go in to the to leadership in the company and just say, hey guys, you know what, here's what happened. I can't really fix it. So the, the Reader's Digest version of that story, and I think you've heard it, was the Kanye West um, teddy bear album came out the same day that the Rascal Flats album came out. And in the middle of that, so this is back when, and for a lot of your readers are going to go, wait, what? They, they actually used to do these enhanced CDs where if you popped a CD in your computer, like hidden content came up. Because back right. then- Yeah, that's, 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 right? that's value. That like yeah, that's exciting. Like, whoa. That thing. Like it was on the cover and 
you produced all these copies. Well, the developers, so when, when you create an enhanced CD, it's got masters on it, right? And so you always create a standard copy that you kind of use, like if anything needs to be fixed and, and then you send the final one for imprint. And back then they were printing a million CDs at a time. I mean, it, that's just the way it was, especially when you're dealing with somebody at the level of Kanye West and Rascal Flatts, right? I mean, back then they were, that was the thing. Yeah. So anyway, we skipped a step and we didn't do the master copy. And the developers thought it would be cute to imprint the teddy bear icon onto the Rascal Flatts enhanced CD and it never came off. So the first million of the enhanced CDs had a really cute little Kanye West. And there's no way to dial that back. You just have nope. to own it. Right. It's out in the wild. Yeah. Right. But that was really one of the first lessons I learned of having to go to a top exec. I mean, somebody who made a hundred times more money than me and said, yeah, yeah I fucked up. Yeah. What it is. Here it is. Free. Yeah. Not really much we can do about it. Just want to make you aware of it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, when, and and he pulled the. Uh, I'm going to call your CEO, and I said, "Feel free. He's right here. Call yeah. him." Yeah. Like he no knows. Yeah. I owned it. Right. It is what it is. So I think it's also that piece of. And this is for any entrepreneur. You got to own it. Yeah. Right. Take responsibility for your part in it yeah. and what role you played in it. Yep. And use that as a, you know, as a, as a lesson for the future. Okay, now you have all three dogs. Hear it? Because clearly awesome. my husband went out and ran an errand or something in the middle You're of like, all Dad, that. Dad, where are you going? What's going on? Mom's in there yeah. doing stuff. That's, you... that's the stereo of all three. Sorry. That's awesome. I love right. your three dogs. <laughs> right? So that's what it, it is. is. So, and then I would say, you know, bringing that forward, working in healthcare. So yeah. this is a good one. Third this example. Here we go. Right. This is a great story, right? So first of all, you're in the South. You're in the Bible Belt. Nashville, for a lot of your listeners, they probably don't know, but it's actually the seat of healthcare in the country. Mm -hmm. There is more healthcare policy decisions made in Nashville than anywhere else in the country. Yep. Okay. HCA Hospitals was founded here. We are the seat of healthcare for the United States. And most people don't realize they think Nashville and they autom automatically go to music, which is yes, but healthcare is, is a huge driving force. And now startups and entrepreneurship are too, which is great. So in healthcare, my business partner is, she's a baller, right? Entrepreneur herself, been in the healthcare startup scene for years, um, you know, college basketball player, tall, like just a presence. A presence, yeah, totally. Yes, a real <laughs> presence. Um, yeah. And smart as a whip, uh, just smart as a whip. So we go into a meeting and I have to say, this has never happened to me. This didn't even happen to me in the music business. So oh, this, go. I'll tell you. we go into a meeting and you've seen us. So uh, for, because we're on a podcast, most people can't see me, but I'm covered in ink, right? I've just... It's just who I am. That's the way it goes. Um, Art. <laughs> and, you know, I don't dress the part of what people would think a healthcare executive would, because I think that's all crap anyway. But we went into this meeting and we were dressed fairly conservatively. Yeah. But, you know, I have a tattoo that runs the full length of the bottom half of my left leg. So if I'm wearing a skirt and heels, you you're going to see something. <laughs> you're going to see something. <laughs> you know, there's only so much I can cover. So he made an incredible, we're halfway, not even halfway through into the introductions in the meeting. And the CEO, multi-million dollar healthcare, makes a statement, and I won't say the exact words, but makes the statement about the way we're dressed and our shoes and that they look like hooker shoes. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. CEO, COO, CFO, CTO, all in the room, all male. All dudes, of course. All dudes. Oh. And their faces just, I mean, there, there was no way. The tells were right there. They just dropped because they knew. That's they just, just lost yeah, totally. Like that, that's the kind of thing that people walk out of the room and call their lawyer. Oh. Luckily enough for us, 
both of, you know, we both recovered fairly quickly, salvaged the meeting, walked out, walked out of the building and then called the COO and said, okay, we're not coming back in the building if he's going to be in any meetings. Oof. And he said, you know, apologized profusely, all of that. But it's just to say that stuff still happens. Yeah. I, I so, Unfortunately. I, 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 so here's a, like, a, I want to click into that a little bit, right? Because this is really important. Because I think a lot of people that maybe weren't aware of this type of behavior and, and, and that experience amongst so many others that I'm sure you've been through and others, oh, yeah. they're, they're becoming more aware of it because of, of, you know, some higher profile, more, you know, well-publicized situations. Sure. And it's very horrible on all fronts. But I guess the question that I have is like, if you could get in the ear, which you are right now, of the people that are, you know, in a position to potentially combat that the right way, right? So get well ahead of it, right? These are people that, it's not like that guy, that's not the first time he's done that, right? That's who he is, right? He's been that way for a long time, guaranteed, right? Yeah. So what advice would you give both to, you know, men and women in these various companies who obviously don't want to be a part of that? They're trying to get their corporate job, you know, trajectory and all that sure. good stuff. They're trying to keep their, you know, do their thing. But like, what can we all do as individuals and or collectively that's meaningful as opposed to just complaining about it on social media, right? For example, like that doesn't yeah. really do anything. Like what do yeah. you do in your company if you feel like you've got a problem and how do you become part of that solution without just like, you know, going off the rails or being, you know, super confrontational or, or whatever? Like, what do you do? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, again, I'm going to go back to to what I know. Yeah. Um, and as a female entrepreneur, I have a responsibility. Right. And I believe part of that responsibility is you have to call people out on it appropriately. To yep. your point, you use the right channels, but you, I always have to look at what about those women that are behind me. If there's a 25 year old girl who's working her way up the ranks. If I don't call this person out, if I don't voice this issue, that issue is going to continue to your point. No it's, doubt. It, it's never the first time. No. It's never no. the first time. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of conviction to say those things and to put yourself out there. But I think as women, especially in business now, we've never had more opportunity to do that. But I also think there's a constructive way to do it. Social media is not it. There's a constructive way to do it. And there's a, construct a constructive way to do it without tearing that person down. Yeah. Because again, you don't know their experience. You don't know their lens. This is some recovery talk. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know their lens. You don't know if they woke up that day and just had a horrible day. You don't know if something personal happened as a result of that. You also don't know historically if there's a pattern to that person's behavior or not. Yeah. And so I always try to kind of take a step back and look at it from all sides if I can, and then say, is that really about me? And even if it's not, I still have a responsibility to say something. If it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate. And listen, we're all human beings. We know when something inappropriate is happening. It's a visceral physical thing and you can't ignore it. It's just like the gut instinct of being an entrepreneur making a decision. It's that same mechanism. Yeah, you it's know. Not different. Yeah. And it's I, I think yeah. And I, I think it's awesome what you said on two fronts, right? One is is you have to 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 do it. And it's, it's about something bigger than yourself, right? And I think it makes it a lot easier to do more challenging things when you're thinking about it through not just, you know, Sloan's, you know, world or Alex world, but a much bigger world, right? Which is, which is really important, especially that 25 year old coming up because God forbid she has to deal with all the shit that you've had to deal with, right? That's just, that sucks. But the second thing that you said, which I think is really important is the constructive nature. Like I, I'm a huge believer in second chances, even third chances. Like people go through bad shit and they do bad things because they're all messed up in the head. And that's yep. okay that, that it's not okay that they, do bad things. It's just if I think if you meaningfully commit yourself 
to getting better and you own your mistakes and you own and you and you're enlightened by this situation yeah. like, holy shit i i had no idea like i like you know that's i think that's huge and i think that's really important because it, it does also tap into something that we talked about you know last time we spoke that i want to get into as well which is this notion of resilience right and so not to not to switch gears too much but there's a um you said something again, of course, it's Sloan. Of course, you're going to say something amazing to me. And I was like, I got to remember to bring that up. So I, I have it in my notes right here. We were talking about COVID and, and it was like, man, this shit is just brutal. But, you know, one way or another, we'll get through it. And you were like, yeah, you know, what's interesting about COVID is, you know, for a lot of people, it's so tragic that they've lost their jobs, you know, or that they're working from home and not able to commute and so on and so forth and see their coworkers. But the beautiful part is that so many kids and adults with kids are you know in a situation where they're becoming so much stronger they're overcoming they're they're evolving they're adapting they're becoming more and more resilient and they're starting businesses and they're doing this and you mentioned you think that there might be like a bit of an entrepreneurial boom on the back of this because of maybe it ties back to your background where you said a lot of what you know you have have built over the years in terms of your entrepreneurial DNA, knowledge, application, successes, and learnings, you've brought with you through survival and then into success and growth and 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 passion. So, do you think maybe that's kind of something that's happening a bit? And and tell us a little bit about what you you know where that was coming from. I love that comment. Yeah, no, it, it definitely feels that way. I mean, I think everybody, you know, this, this whole COVID thing has created phases, right? And I mean, yeah. you, you kind of watch it rolling through the country. And, and, and I think, you know, at the beginning, it was, there was a lot of panic and fear wrapped up in, you know, how do I manage my kids? How do I keep my job? How do I mean, all of the things that rightfully so anybody would experience, right? And so I think a lot of that, but then on the other side, fear can be an incredible motivator. And I'm kind of a big proponent of recognizing when there's a healthy amount of fear involved in that, because I think what people started to realize as they adapted, right, which is, I actually, without the commute, I get more time with my kids. Without the commute, I get more time with my husband or, or wife, partner. Without my, you know, without the commute, without the grind, um, I've actually got more time in my day and more headspace in my yeah. day to think about other things. And so that's where I think, I mean, honestly, that's where I think you're going to start to see a lot of people who were once dependent on a, a job and working for a company and all of a sudden they're furloughed and then lose their jobs, well, now what? Well, that has a sense of, and I've talked to people who've gone through this of saying, why do I ever wanna be dependent on someone else for my own well-being? Right. To raise my family, to pay my bills, to do all these things. And I think the other thing that people have realized is those traditional job mindsets where I have to have insurance, yeah. I have to have this, I have to have 401k, I have to have all these things. Nah, you really don't. Right, like it from a, and, and you know this, cause we're gonna, I don't wanna go off on a healthcare tangent, but you know, I've been uninsured for 15 years. So it, there are ways around it. We, and we live in the one country in the world where you can actually figure all of that out and still take care of your family, make a great living, find time for a side hustle or two or three, if you want, right? tap into those things that are important to you. So I think that now that we're, again, kind of eight months in, a lot of people are figuring out, right? Like I can do two or three things, make just as much money, make my own hours, decide when I want to do that, take care of my kids, go anywhere I want. There's no walls anymore, right? I mean, all of this, I mean, we're talking via Zoom, but all of, there's no walls anymore. Like now, are there traditional structures where and, and traditional industries where people have to go into a physical building? Yes. I mean, I live in Spring Hill, Tennessee. We have a giant GM plant that just got a $2 billion boon. They're going to build the new electric luxury Cadillac. Sweet. Well, that's a go in the wall, right? But that's a huge, right? And, and again, there's lots of people who started their own companies that worked at the GM plant. 
because they needed something when the GM plant wasn't at full speed. So again, it's kind of thinking about all of a sudden this has opened up so much room for people to think, to go, to do, to travel, move. There, there's nothing anymore. I mean, you and I talked about this. My brother worked for Patagonia for 18 years. Yeah. Well, the retail industry has been turned on its ear completely. But what that did for him was it gave him the freedom to say, you know what, I don't have to live in Chicago anymore. Right. I'm going to go someplace I've always wanted to live. And so he's packing up and moving, you know, out to the great Northwest where he can fly fish every day and Sick. still work. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's the thing to me is all of this has created, I think, and, and removed that I can't do it. I can't be an entrepreneur. That's a whole nother thing. Because now we've also got the technologies. We've got all these amazing companies that have spun up as a result of this, or maybe had started before it and then got gas poured onto it because of the pandemic. Yeah. And now it's just giving people a lot more flexibility and freedom to go and do what they want to do. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, I even think about, you know, when I'm in the car and listening to, to Sirius XM and the commercials come on, you know, about kids in coding school, we well, can do all that online now. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like all of the, everything's been flattened yeah. and you can do whatever you want to do. So my hope is, and, and I'm starting to see it at least around Nashville, my hope is you're going to see a lot of that continue to spin up yeah. and a lot entrepreneurs are going to continue to come from really unexpected places. And I just think that's really cool. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and this is a question that, that ties to this topic for sure. And so hence the, the title of the podcast, right? The growth mindset, which yeah. I've never met an entrepreneur in my life, the you know, real deal entrepreneur that doesn't have it. Um, but there's always the question of nurture versus nature, right? You know, how much of that is the wiring you're born with versus what you invest in cultivating and, you know, all that good stuff. So for the people that are, they're, you know, listening to this, that are either furloughed or they're working a corporate job and they're like, you know, it's just not satisfying for them. Um, and I talk about stuff, you know, phases or, you know, just jumping out of an airplane versus like, you know, packing your shoot and being a little bit methodical and so on and so forth. With your, you know, perspective, you know, how would you suggest, like, what do you think, how do you think people should be thinking about and approaching, you know, the new three hours that they have, if they want to invest, you know, three, four hours a day, right, in learning more about the entrepreneurial mindset and, and how to, you know, take calculated risks or start doing things that um, could potentially become an, an, an offering to, a, you know, a career entrepreneur. Like, what are a couple of tips that you would give those people, you know, practical tips from like people that have done it, you know, as opposed to like, oh, all the like glamorized, like raise a gazillion dollars and do something amazing and put a dent in the world. And it's like, yeah, but I, I, I have two and a half kids as a white picket fence and a couple of dogs. And like, I like, I like the stability, like, but I have this itch. I want to scratch it. You know, what do yeah. you think about that? So it's great questions. I mean, the first thing I'll say is that I think if you're, if you're in one of those kind of standard situations still, the first thing I'd say is give yourself a lot of grace. We're not, as entrepreneurs, we don't do that. Um, we're, we're not good at giving ourselves a little grace and a little room. And you really have to, because the thing is, as an entrepreneur, you might dabble into something because you think it's kind of cool, but you're not going to see it through because it's not the thing that kind of, it doesn't resonate with you. It's not personal to you. And entrepreneurship is very personal. Great it's incredibly quality. personal. And so I think grace is a word I use really often because it's, it's, it kind of becomes that thing for me that I look at it and go, all right, you know what? I just need to give myself a break. I'm not going to get that done today. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Like my head's not there. So I'm just going to move it over here. And be good with that. Yeah. And give yourself the room. So I think some of that, I mean, I, I had the really in, um, interesting fortune to talk to um, an, a female entrepreneur in Nashville. I guess it was about six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I've been very aware of her for a long time. Our paths have never crossed because we're just in different in different circles. But she got recommended 
she heard about me from somebody and and she just wanted to have a conversation with another female entrepreneur who was going through a lot of the same stuff that she was and so we had this great phone conversation and and the thing i told her is i said you don't have to have it all figured out right away right like, guess what none of us do like, right it's not you have to for yourself give yourself the time and the grace and maybe those three hours aren't about brainstorming what the next move on the chessboard should be maybe those three hours are i'm just going to do something i love for a little while i mean for me it's cooking right yeah. to me so for me it's cooking when i need to recharge my batteries i go take apart a cookbook find some recipes i like reconstruct them and i spend the day cooking in the kitchen nice that's for me is that's yeah. how I, but there's something like that for everybody, right? Whatever that is. So I just would say the first thing is give yourself a little grace yeah, um, and take it like, and it's only yours to give, right? That's the other thing is you can't look to somebody else to give you that space. You've got to create that space for yourself. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing I'd say is, and we talked about it before is don't worry about failing. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about failure, but failure is the most constructive thing in the world to me. I mean, I've learned more from failing than I have from succeeding. And you know, I mean, I'm going to steal Mark's phrase because I carry it with me all the time, but watch their feet, not their mouth. Remember that the work <laughs> That's is, awesome. watch their feet, not their mouth. You know, the work is the thing that you want to be remembered by. If you're Listen, Alec, you know this, if you're an entrepreneur, there's some ego wrapped up in it. Let's just put it out there in the middle of the room. There is, <laughs> like we all got it. It's okay, Yeah. right? You gotta have a little ego to survive. You yeah. really do, right? But there's a right way to use that ego. And, and I think you have to recognize, and this is kind of part B, you have to recognize your place in it. Like for me, I never wanted to be a founder again. I did it once. That was great. I knew that for me personally, my career as an entrepreneur was a wingman and a co-founder. That's it. And if I had to be the token, so be it. I can own that, right? But that's where I, I always got more for me. What cashed my emotional paycheck was being able to make someone else successful. And listen, everybody knows behind every good founder, there's a good co-founder. Without a doubt. Right? I, yeah. So it wasn't, that's never been the ego thing for me. The ego thing has been the results of the work and the relationships I've made. And I mean, you're a great example of that. You know, it's the relationships. Mm -hmm. I've carried some amazing relationships throughout my 30 plus years doing yeah. this. So I, I love that salon. So, and there's so much more to unpack there. And I want to be cognizant of timing and your time, of course, but there's one thing that you mentioned in particular that I think is, well, two things are so critical. And actually it came up on last episode, you know, with Breezy Beaumont as well as this growth marketer monster and she was amazing. And she, I asked a similar type of question for, for, you know, from her vantage point for marketers. And she's like, I think it's important to get certificates, but also it's equally, if not more important to just build, right? So she was like, just build a website and you'll learn so much more by doing that and the SEO and so on and so forth. And I think what you've said adds on that in a major way, which is not only, you know, recognize the ego play, recognize that failure is just, you know, learnings in disguise, right? It's not failure. It's, it's that's how you iterate, you get better, um, but, but take action right? And start executing. And there are so many great tools and, and things available today. So I guess on that front, um, I always ask this question. I say always, like I've had so many episodes, the third episode, but I'd like to think that I will always ask this question because I well. think it's important. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Um, you know, there's knowledge that's gained through experience, right? Which I, which for you know yourself and for myself, I think we 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 index very heavily in that direction, right? Is the stove hot, you know? And, and someone tells you, and you're like, now let's see, you touch it, right? But there's other types of knowledge, you know, sources and things to go to, whether it's as you said, like almost like mentorship in either direction, books, you know, just quality time with people and podcasts and Twitter, and so you know, from your vantage point for you, not necessarily for anybody else, but, you know, how do you, you know, invest in, in your own knowledge set, you know, on a go forward basis? Like, do you have any habits or kind of 
you know, stuff you do weekly, daily, or anything of that nature? Or is it more you let it come to you? And, and, and what are the sources of, of how you find inspiration and knowledge and, and, and just keep getting better, basically? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. So, and, and you kind of, it's in sort of my lead up, right? When you, yeah. when you read my introduction, right? I stole it. Right. For me, you know, I mean, I had to, we've talked about me being a cancer survivor. Well, part of that is I had to retrain my brain. So part of that is in that process of retraining my brain. I mean, I used to be a night person. I used to be out all hours of the night. I mean, I worked in the music business. I worked in the, it's just part of the deal. Right. And so, you know, staying up till two or three o'clock in the morning, getting up the next morning, Red Bull, you're at it again. Right. Well, when you have a serious health condition, there's some things you just can't do that. And what I found for myself is my brain wasn't as sharp at Mm. night anymore when I went through the last round, which was several years ago. But in part of that, because chemo brain is a real thing. There yeah. is a fog yeah. that happens and you, what, no matter how much education, what your IQ is, it doesn't matter. That's just a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so when I had to retrain my brain, what I found for me was that I was much sharper in the early morning. So I could do heavy technical writing. I could do, I could write an entire website in a few hours in a morning. I could do that kind of work, um, but I had to retrain my brain and at the same time retrain my habits. So I had to completely kind of flip the script. So I start out, my habits are each day, I I work out five days a week. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. Nice, there you go. I'm just used to it now, that's how I react, right? So I get up at 4 a.m. I start each day with a workout. I do quiet time. So my faith is incredibly important to me. Yeah. So the Bible's part of every morning of every day. So that that's next. And there nothing interrupts those two things, right? And then I start my day, right? So I'm typically on my computer by 5, 5.15. Wow. Every day, nice. right? Um, and then I do my heavy thinking, thought processing, writing, technical strategy work before noon. Because I know for me that right about one or two o'clock, my brain's starting to wind down. It doesn't mean to stop it. It's just winding down. And so I can do the less attentive work in the later afternoon. And then yeah. I try to stop my day by four o'clock in the afternoon. Doesn't nice. always work, but I try. So I'm a good 11 to 12 hours. And then if there's, you know, in circumstances, you know, as an entrepreneur, that can change. Sometimes then I just try to give myself a brain break for a couple hours. And if there's something I got to knock out by the end of the night, then I try to do it early, right? Yeah. But I'm in bed every night by eight to 8.30. So I have a very kind of regimented, schedule and for me yes you know do i adjust it when i'm traveling and doing other things well sure of course i do but the 4 a.m doesn't stop it just means a longer day because i still can get more done between five in the morning and 11 than most people get done in two days so for me so true that's a hat that's a habit and it, and it is ingrained in me and it, it won't be anything that changes. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, and you and I have talked about this before. I'm not a big business book person, it's just <laughs> not, not my thing. And because I manage a big part of the healthcare practice that we have, I manage the social media practice. I'm not on social media either. I mean, yeah. you definitely know who I am. You see my posts it's pretty yep. clear. But for the most part, I don't spend my time there because I do it for a living. So it's not something that I spend a lot of time on. I also think it happens to be the land of misinformation. So I have a few very trusted sources that I go to for um, kind of learning and business and my view on the world. And that's really stuff that I've personally curated. Um, That's really a matter of, you know, smart podcasts like what you're doing here also things that I enjoy listening to. So 
you know, I mean, I get a big, I, I don't know if you're a fan, but this is one of the ones I absolutely love. This American Life, Ira Glass is like one of my, uh, his I, I, yeah, I've heard. I haven't had a chance. I'm going to check it out. His podcast, because it's just stories. Yeah. And to me, I love a good story. And when there's a human element to it, because we're all stuck behind these computers so much, yeah. I love doing that. So his is one of my, I would say it's one of my guilty pleasures, right? It's, it's one of those that I, that I listen to pretty frequently. So, and then the other thing that I try to do is have times like this where I'm yeah. talking to people who, cause that really, for me, kind of charges my personal battery. I like getting other people's perspective and I like hearing from them, you know, what are their challenges? What are they going through? What have they learned? Cause listen, you know, I'm still usually the dumbest person in the room. So Me if too. I can do something fun from somebody else and go, oh, you know what? There's actually a way to apply that to this, mm -hmm. this, and this. Then I want to do it, right? And so I never want to think that there isn't more for me to learn or is it, there isn't more for me to get out of something. Um, and you and I already talked about, you know, the business book thing <laughs> and the one that I, that I will, you know, art, right? Not giving fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, yeah. that's part of being an entrepreneur is you have to develop a, a pretty hard shell, but not one that doesn't have feelings and, yeah. and grace and forgiveness and, and all of those things, both for yourself and others. Yeah, you've got to know yourself and, and be humble, confident. But yeah, here's the thing. And I promise all you listeners, I did not in any way, shape, or form, pay or influence Sloan to say that last bit, because literally what you just said and the, the conversation with the female entrepreneur in Nashville, like my dream for this podcast is that, that that woman, right? She had a great time with you. And I'm sure she like, like just like me, every time I talk to you, I'm like, man, you know, I learned so much. It was so inspiring. It was so awesome. I wish I could, you know, share this with the world or whatever. And that's what the point of the podcast is like, I guarantee there's hundreds, if not maybe thousands of people that I am connected to or, or second degree connection that are going to get the same exact feeling out of listening to this because of you, the rock star Sloan, Sloan Scott, aka Sloan Peterson, aka um, one of the most real deal entrepreneurs that I know. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only for this, but Sloan was also one of those people that, you know, when I was, you know, Thinking through how to launch and, and create Ludlow, there was a you know a couple couple of people I talked to a couple of different times, and Sloan was one of them, of course. And one of the things she said to me, which we'll close on this because it was so awesome. You're like, you're like, all right, we got to like the very end, and I was like, all right, so I'm gonna do this and so on and so forth. And you said something along the lines, you're like, you know, Alec, it's okay that it's kind of terrifying. You know that, right? I need to hear that, right? I'm like, all right, good. So it's not just me. Like, it, because I'm terrified doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it, right? And you're like, no, no, no. That means you should do it. Do it, you know. And I did, and here we, here we are. So yeah, again, that healthy fear, that trust your gut thing, right? Like, yeah. It's not scary, right? I mean, again, it kind of goes back to that. It's exciting, you know. Right. It goes back to the very beginning. You know the difference between an entrepreneur and someone who wants to be one. So. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, always a pleasure, Sloan. And thank you so much. And I'm so excited to publish this and everyone's going to love it. So thanks and have a great, great weekend. Great day. You too. Okay. Thanks, Al. Bye. Take care.